You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do this. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson, and I'm joined today by Bruce Adams and Marty Foster. Good evening, gentlemen. How are we this evening? Good evening, Johnny. I am furious. As am I, sir. And we're going to get into why. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to probably blow my stack tonight. But um, Bruce, how are you? Uh, I I was doing well until you sent that paper to me and uh, I read through (laughs) it. So, yeah, you know, I was talking to somebody today and they said that they were concerned because they're they're losing people that they would normally talk to people they've been friends with for a very long time. I'm talking like decades here and they're not speaking because literally this covid stuff has them divided. I'm not joking. And it's turned into this like, uh, well, you support whatever, then if you don't believe it, then you like Trump. And it's like they're they're that twisted up. It's just it's terrible to see. But someone brought that up to my attention only a few hours ago. And I said, look, I hate to tell you this, but it's not even about any of that. None of it. And they said, well, what do you mean? And I sent a photo of the cover page over to the person. And I said, it's not about a pandemic. It never was. And they said, well, what do you mean? What, what is all this? And then I said, you're just going to have to you're going to have to listen because it's more than I can explain. So we're going to go through this tonight. And I've been telling a lot of people about this. I've been talking on the side to some people about it. I'm like, look, you just need to pay attention to what's going to be coming. And that is what they're going to be using COVID for. Now, this whole time we've been talking about masks and mandates and do they work and you know what drugs are used for treatment what should be there's a whole argument about this hydroxychloroquine nonsense or remdesivir and vaccines but is it really about that that's the question is it really about that and i think after tonight after we explain what we're going to explain from what we've stumbled upon i think you might have a different opinion but that's not for us to decide that's for you to decide from what we found, we're going to present what we found. We're going to try and break it down. We're going to try and keep it into as simple as terms as we can so as to not confuse anyone because there's a lot of jargon in this stuff, isn't there, fellas? So, um, yeah, yes, we're going it, to. Uh, it is indeed. Yeah, we're going to we're going to take a um, we're going to take a very subtle approach with this. And what this is, what we're talking about is basically how they're going to use covid as a cover to alter and change society. Now, we've said that. We've talked about that before, but we didn't know how they were going to do it. And I said something to the effect not long ago of, well, they're just trying to buy their time till they can figure out how to hit the reset button. Well, yes, kind of knew the reset button was coming, but we didn't know exactly how they were going to do it. And we kind of figured that they were going to try and reorganize society. When I say they, we have to be specific, right, Marty? We have to be specific. We have. Yes, please. Yeah, we have to describe who. And we're talking about governmental bodies, be it national or international. Mostly tonight, we're going to focus on international, such as the United Nations. That, I think, is who's going to be taking the lead on this. And then you have finance capital on top of that. The likes of JP Morgan, the likes of the IMF, the likes of the World Bank, Citigroup. You've got people such as the United Microsoft, you got um, organizations such as the European Commission that are involved in all this. And so what we found 
is essentially um, the plan that's being put forth, or excuse me, the proposal that's being put forth. It is put forth by the World Economic Forum. This is the group most notably that meet down in uh, Davos, Switzerland every year. You always hear about the all of the finance capital heads and the world elite. They all get together and, you know, this is what they're going to discuss and they're going to talk about policy going forward. Well, this year they've got a policy and they've got a plan going forward. And we're going to talk about what that plan is. Uh, and it's it's quite simple. You can go to the World Economic Forum. I think it's weforum.com. I think that's their website. We went right to their website, and that's where we got what we're going to discuss tonight. It's called The Emerging Pathways Towards a Post-COVID-19 Reset and Recovery. So Hold on. Uh, this is, what, go ahead. Hold on. What'd you say what the, what'd you say the website was? Just, just for WE, clarifications. weforum.com. Is that the right one? Yeah, it's uh, it's weform.org. Yeah, weform.org. Okay, all right. Uh, okay, yes, it should be an org because it's a tax exempt. But all right, yes. So weform.org. All right. So that's that's the website. Thank you, Bruce. But we went there right to their website, and this is the plan that they have laid out, and this is what they're going to be discussing at their upcoming event in January. Now, the most important thing to recognize at this moment is, okay, well, how are they waiting until January? Well, they can't call the heads of finance capital together before then. So they're just going to do it at their annual summit. In the meantime, what are they doing? They have to keep the populations occupied. The national governments, in my best estimation, are being told to maintain, and that's it. This is why we see no action, no solutions of any kind from governments. Notice we're not hearing any solutions. We're just hearing, well, this is what we have to do. And if we do this for a little bit, and then once we get to that point, then it becomes something else. Example, the masks, right? Social distancing, markings on the floor, wash your hands. Well, if we just do this for this amount of time, then that's what will get us to that point. But then once we get there, it's something else. So it's just the carrot and the stick. It's a constant moving, right? We've heard the terms moving the goalposts. Well, they're going to keep moving that goalpost as long as they need until they get to this point where they can hit the reset button. Now, the problem is, is they don't have everybody on board with this yet. And that right there, they even mentioned that in this report. And we're going to go over some of that. So basically, the start of this is the briefing is a part of a series of the World Economic Forum's outlook. It builds on the latest economic policy research, as well as consultations with a growing community of close to 40 leading chief economists. So mind you, these are all the finance capital heads usually. And just to name a few, obviously, Bruce put some up there, Microsoft, JP Morgan Chase, uh, Bayer or Bayer AG, uh, these types of companies, Procter & Gamble. These are the companies that get together on this. Uh, Amazon, Apple, Google, you know, these are the people that get together and, and hash this stuff out. But these are from both public and private sectors organized by the World Economic Forum's platform for shaping the future of the new economy and society. It aims to summarize the emerging contours of the current global economic environment and to identify priorities for further action by policymakers, meaning governments, national governments, and business leaders in response to the economic crisis triggered by the COVID-19 pandemic. See, they need the pandemic to continue so they can further the agenda. Then they can use that as a cover to do what they need to do in order to reorganize. But it's going to be a reorganization on their terms, not on the free market's terms, not on the system that's allowed us to build this wealth and this capital that's given them what they've got. No, 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 no. We can't do that. We have to do it on their terms. See, they've rigged the system in their favor. And now that system has come to an end. They're at end game. And so now they need to do a power grab. That's all they know at this point. I've rambled on for the first few minutes here. Where would you guys like to start? Bruce, Marty, either one of you, where, where would you guys like to start? Well, there's three main parts to this document, isn't there? And part one is the retooling economic policy to reduce inequality and improve 
social mobility. So why don't we just start with with that? They're point one of this this three point agenda for the Davos meeting. Yes, I would like to. Yeah, we'll go ahead and start there. But I wanted to go over a couple of things in the synopsis in the global context real quick uh, that stood out. Oh, to sure. Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By all means. And it's just some of the things that that I just like to point out. I'm not going to go over the whole thing. But like I said, anyone can go to uh, what you say, Bruce, it was it was weforum.org. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. You can go to weforum.org and you can get this document and you can confirm everything that we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, And again, this is our we're we're not financial advisors. We're not investors or anything like that. We're just simple concerned citizens and we're calling it like we see it. That's all we are here, because I guarantee you this right here. What we're going to talk about tonight is not going to be on any television or in any newspaper at all, because this is the kind of stuff that they're doing in plain view that they don't want you to see because there is a way to stop that. The impact on the U.S. has also been shown to vary significantly by ethnicity. For example, small businesses with black, Asian, or Hispanic owners have suffered disproportionately. Now, they're speaking of a result of the lockdowns, the closure of businesses, and things of that nature, which we've talked about at nauseum here. Now, when they make a statement like that, and they say that it's very significantly by ethnicity, for example, small businesses with black, Asian or Hispanic owners, they've suffered disproportionately. Let me explain why they've suffered disproportionately. I'm not saying that that's false. That's true. But they're not explaining why they've suffered disproportionately. They've suffered disproportionately because of the riots, because people have had their businesses smashed out, burned out, looted or bankrupted as a result of the lockdowns that they themselves imposed in conjunction with federal governments or national governments. So to say that, well, it's just as a result of, well, they suffered disproportionately. The reason that they suffered in the first place is because of the chain of events that set them on that path that was undertaken by these particular individuals or their type. See, the larger businesses, the larger finance heads, the ones that put this report together, they didn't close. They're not small business people. These are the ones that set policy around the world. They were considered essential businesses, not non-essential businesses. The small mom and pop stores in the U.S. and in, in, uh, in Europe, they are the ones that were considered non-essential largely. So they had to close by order of finance capital. Notice Walmart, Target, Asda, Tesco, Amazon, all essential businesses. Yeah, as well as that, without wishing to sound like I'm being stereotypical, the smaller businesses such as um, household cleaning companies, as soon as the lockdown happened, as soon as the social distancing happened, right the way across the world, uh, people who were providing cleaning services got told to stay away. This business is the businesses were closed down where they were doing the cleaning or the homes no no longer wanted them to come in in case they brought infection with them so those sorts of businesses would be you know shut down and irrevocably damaged as well because of the lockdown they make reference to uh the environmental and social governance now that's you take that for what you want but there's they're calling this a particular agenda in and of itself the environmental and social governance agenda is more likely than not to emerge strengthened from the crisis in the opinion of respondents what why would that emerge as strengthened why why would that yet policymaking currently runs the risk of focusing too narrowly on GDP recovery targets. Why would you focus too narrowly on GDP recovery targets? You want GDP to be recovered as much as humanly possible. You want to bounce back. You want that V-shaped recovery like we've been hearing about, right? You don't want an L-shaped recovery, which is straight down and then it goes stagnant. You want 
down and then straight back up. So you focus on GDP. Absolutely. You don't too narrowly focus on GDP. You make it the target. That's what you focus on. You focus on building back your your output, revamping your supply chain as much as possible, which we're going to talk about supply chains here tonight. Yeah. The reason they don't want the V-shaped recovery is because that would be achieved by effective taxation uh, and changes to tax policies by governments. Later in the document, it talks about, uh, you, you know, the, the gig economy. And we already know that companies like Amazon and the larger companies, Google, for instance, they are not paying tax correctly mm. in the countries where they're where where the transactions are taking place. They they are getting away with not paying a huge amount of tax. As well so, as Amazon and Facebook. They're in there too. Yeah. Exactly. Well, exa- exactly. So in, in the document, it, it says that governments will have to be wary of diverting funds away from education and healthcare to cover this deficit. The people that go to Davos are not governments. The majority of them are finance capitalists, and they're the ones who the governments owe money to. They would much rather the governments couldn't pay fast enough to get clear of debt. So the more I've read into this document, the more I see that there there's opportunities here to create the situation where governments, whole countries are more and more indebted to these finance capitalists. And that's correct. That's that's it right there. You just hit the nail on the head. And that is they want to turn us back into what we talked about before the uh, the New World Order specials that we did. They want to turn us onto a path of neo-feudalistic serfdom. And that's what this is. Yeah. They want us all being serfs, indebted to them forever. You notice that you see the protests that are largely of, of people when they go out and they protest, say, like uh, the European Central Bank or uh, the Federal Reserve Bank in the United States. What do they say? You're already enslaving my uh, my children and my grandchildren. They already owe X amount of money. So this is going to further that agenda even more. They bankrupt the businesses. The businesses then have to take the loan in order to stay open. But in the end, it's not about that business actually recovering. It's about that business actually paying a forever tax to the finance capital, the private finance capital, right? Yeah. And if any of our listeners go to the website, and look at this document, they'll see how clever the writer, you know, the author was, because on the face of it, everything looks like they've got the world's best interests at heart. But as we dig deeper and we look at these individual challenges, as they call them in the document, these three different challenges, I'm hoping that we'll be able to to show these weasel words for what they are. Says here that a slight majority of respondents. I'm assuming they surveyed their own uh, their own economists here. Uh, a slight majority of respondents also felt that some form of unconditional basic benefits should remain as part of the social policy toolkit beyond the crisis. However, there was no consensus. We're talking about the added benefits here that were given, as in the uh, unemployment bonus that the U.S. is being given right now of $600 a week. And of course, I think that's going to be extended. Mortgages being foregone uh, or having a moratorium on mortgages, rent payments, things of that nature, having deferred loans on businesses uh, and the like. So they're talking about obviously um, having that remain in society. And we'll explain why uh, as we get further on. So let's get right into 
the first section, as you put it, Marty, retooling the economic policy uh, to in, to reduce inequality and improve social mobility. Now, social mobility uh, for the Bruce, can you pull me social mobility? I believe yep. uh, social mobility for those that uh, because I was a little bit perplexed about that at first and I knew what it was. But I hadn't heard it called this before. Social mobility is essentially it's the class system in a society. Is that correct, Bruce? So basically, it's uh, it, it it is essentially a class system, but it's uh, having the ability to move between the classes. So they claim they want if you're like low income, you can have the mobility to increase in social standing, both economically and uh, in society. And you know, advance to like middle class, you know, whatever, you know, the, the system that we already kind of have in place, um, the, they're wanting to rewrite that and change it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it starts off by saying inequality has been accelerating in recent years. Has it? Has it been accelerating or has the money actually been devalued to a point where the rich do get richer and the poor do get poorer? Now, we do see that divide. That's not in question here. But the fact is, is that the policies have been altered to favor those that have come up with this plan. They've turned the markets themselves into their own personal casino. So it's been a rigged game over the last decade or so, I would argue longer than that. And so, yes, it has driven up inequality, but they don't stop to tell you about how. That's the most important thing. We hear about who, what, where, when, why, but we never understand the most important part of it. That's never put into context. We have to figure that out for ourselves. And that is, how has that happened? That's the most important thing of it all, because if you don't figure out how it happened, then you don't know how to avoid it or to fix it. So how did the inequality happen? I, I want to point something out real quick, kind of mm-hmm. a, a quick thing that Marty was talking about with uh, the, the way things are worded. There's okay. a little bit of truth in here. And they, they talk about the inequality being one, one of the ways is automation and how that's going to okay. destroy people's jobs and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. That the, It kind of talks about that. Well, that's true. There's truth in that. But that's all they key on. They don't really point to anything else. They just said machines bad or, or kind of yeah. leave that idea. That, well, I actually think they think machines good because oh, I, I agree. If, you, if you've got a machine doing it, you don't have to pay it wages. Mm-hmm. Um, but any good lie is best hid between two pieces of truth. Exactly. So they made a statement that they're trying to address inequality. But what I actually think they're going to do is ultimately get rid of the people who feel that they are not getting their fair share. They will disappear. They will have less and less children. They will be forced out. Uh, and eventually, well, okay, I'll go back one. The reason why they feel that they, the way money is going no longer suits their plan is that as we've become less and less multi-skilled, for instance, you know, the, the elite and the middle classes, they don't know how to build anything. They don't know how to do any plumbing. They don't know how to do any household wiring. No In farming. fact, here in the U- no farming, you know, they, they can't feed themselves. They can't shelter themselves. We're back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. They can't even fulfill the lowest level. They've skipped straight to the mid and the higher levels. So people like plumbers, bricklayers, carpenters, electricians can earn very, very good money. And they are the ones that are socially mobile. If you can buy a property cheaply and restore it and then sell it on, you can make big bucks. People who haven't got those skills can't do it without people with those skills. So even these these you know landlords that own dozens of properties, 
if they can't do their own work, they've got to pay somebody else to do it for them. And that's where things have shifted. That's where social mobility, which is beyond the elite's control, in fact, it's to their detriment because they have to start paying through the nose for tradespeople. And I don't care how good your AI is and how good your robotic arm is, they are never going to replace, you know, skilled craftsmen in those kind of roles. That's very well said, sir. I can't argue with that. And it is that, isn't it? They, they can't be replaced. You can put a robotic arm up there all day long, but at the end of the day, it's just not as good. Right? It's just not as good a product. Oh, yes, it's going to be nice and precise and all that stuff, but it's not going to have the man-made craftsmanship to it. You know, I had this argument with somebody yesterday. They were pitting a, uh, a nice uh, German auto, right? one of these new Audis, yeah? which fantastic car, but they were pitting it against an American muscle car. And you know what? I didn't have to see the drag race or whatever it was. Which one do you think won? Right? It was the Audi. Of course it was, because it was nothing but precision and machinery and electronics. And what'd you have? You had a rough... American muscle car that was put together in a factory in Kentucky by a guy named Bob. And you know what? Me personally, I'll take that one that was put together in a factory in Kentucky by a guy named Bob. Because to me, that's real craftsmanship. That's somebody that's actually put their hard-earned time and effort and their pride into that. This is our separation, right? This is where we believe in the pro-human future side of it. They don't. They believe in the automation side of it, the robotic side of it, like you said. This is the difference. Would you agree with that? I, I would, and particularly when it comes to you know cars, automobiles, whichever way you'd like to you know name them. It used to be that uh, a simple four-cylinder engine, you could work on it, you could change your own head gasket, you could do all manner of things to get your car to run again with a fairly basic level of of mechanical knowledge. But now those cars have been deliberately designed so the the man on the street doesn't stand a chance because he needs uh, the the right connector the right software to analyze the engine management unit to see exactly what's wrong with the car it's got sensors everywhere it's got more basically it's got more things built into it to go wrong and the way i, I sound like a luddite you know i sound like someone who used to smash up steam engines during the industrial revolution but you know, I'm not. I'm, I'm an engineer. I'm a technician. I understand the science and I appreciate it to a certain degree. But I, I am rather frustrated that everything that we use is becoming more and more complicated. Uh, a toothbrush, for instance. Nowadays, most people use electric toothbrushes in, you know, in the developed world because we're all told they're better for us. But they've got a timer that tells you how long to use it for. They've got, you know, a pressure sensor that tells you if you're pressing too hard. Do we really need all of that technology just to brush our teeth? No. And we don't need all that technology that's being crammed into cars under the false idea that they're making them more efficient and safer for us. They may be slightly safer to a certain degree, but really it's so that if your car develops a fault, you have to take it back to the main dealer to get it fixed. So they sell you something that is going to continuously generate money, continuously generate revenue for them, because you have to go back to the main dealer to get your vehicle fixed, because they are far too complicated. And it, and, and I think that's, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, that's a mirror image 
of of this whole system. They're they're changing everything, and we've already stated who they are. They are resetting the system because it's got away from them slightly, and it's time to reset. It's time to grab all that power they want to have over us, which is. As you said earlier on, this complete slave race of zero assets who don't own their own homes are completely dependent on the state or employer for everything. And that's where they want us. That's where they want to get us to. The tax architecture. It says here, and we'll start uh, speeding up a little bit here. It says Uh, here that... um, Go ahead. Okay. But before we um, do that, we've got this other part. We talked about the social mobility, but it says, and to reduce inequality. And I've looked at this a dozen different ways. And the only way that you can reduce inequality is if someone gives up something to let somebody else have it, because we have haves and have nots. But they're not suggesting uh, when you read through, even if you don't have to read between the lines, you can just read the lines. They're suggesting that it's going to be a redistribution of wealth between the middle and lower classes. They're not talking any way, shape or form about billionaires giving up and redistributing their wealth. It's still basically down to those people who are suffering the inequality to drag themselves somehow out of that. It's to spread what they've got even more thinly. So it goes across a few more of them. I just thought we rather than just, you know, we shouldn't just skip over that part because section one of the document is about inequality and social mobility. So we, we, we must address what they're planning on this inequality thing, surely. No, you're, you're right. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But the next section, as you were talking there about uh, them being exempted from it, uh, as far as like taxes, they talk about wealth taxes in the next section. Uh, and then wealth tax, the wealth tax, that's Bruce's uh, specialty right there is wealth taxes, because that's not what you think it is. A wealth tax is not how much money you have. A wealth tax is a tax on everything you own, everything. Mm-hmm. So they go even further with it. Inequality. Uh, and I think when they're looking at inequality in this first section here, they're talking about country level inequality and the patterns that in there that have been shaped by the forces of global integration. Well, they're comparing country to country from what I'm looking mm-hmm. at. And they're saying, well, your country is not the same as the other country, and therefore you have been given an unfair advantage. So we need to bring you down to the level of this country over here so there's no inequality. That's what I'm taking away from it. Yeah, that's what it looks like is you have too much. You're doing too well. This other country needs some help. So we're going to take the money from you, for example, like the uh, the U.S. using them as an example and comparing it to, I don't know, Venezuela, you know, and you see how Venezuela is doing. Well, we're going to have to take all the funds from the U.S. and and equalize you guys so you're equally as miserable. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> we're we're going to help both of you. Yeah, I've made a note here where it's talking about safeguards and protections for future shocks and provide support to developing social economic mobility in the new economies. And I've written here, will this be to favor certain countries? And as you read further on, it does say that. It says the point that you just made. But of course, are they going to give money, let's say, using Bruce's example, to Venezuela? Or are they going to lend money to I think it's going to be the latter. I think it's going to be the latter. I think it's going to be lending because if you look at organizations. It's not a charitable organization, is it? It's not a charity. They're there to make money and gain power. Yes. And I could see the lending going through organs such as the International Monetary Fund. That's what it's for. That's what they've turned it into. The IMF, the lenders of last resort. Isn't that what they call them? So 
you had guys the, the likes of which we spoke about him here last week, Nigel Farage. He was in the European Commission, or excuse, yeah, the European Parliament a few years back. And you remember the Greek debt crisis and all of that going on. Yep. And you get you send a plane down to Athens, and off the plane comes a representative from the European Commission, a representative from the European Central Bank, and a representative from the IMF. And he called them the Troika. That's what they are. It's a lender of last resort. You can never repay those loans when you start getting in hawk to the, those organizations. And that's precisely well, who they're going to use, because that's who helped write this. I think it's worthwhile uh, looking at the next two paragraphs underneath um, transforming tax architectures. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. So government interventions to keep firms and households afloat and stimulate demand during the recovery phase will likely push debt to GDP ratios to over 120% on average. That means every year, whatever that country produces, it's still one fifth of that more in debt. Just on a side note, since you bring that point right there, the Weimar Republic in Germany, when they went through their period of hyperinflation, before it all went wrong in that particular time, the debt to GDP ratio in Germany under that system was at 122%. Yeah. So we're, we're right along the wheelbarrow full of money to buy a loaf of bread sort yes. of situation already. And that's um, where they want to keep us. It, yeah. And because, you know, money is debt. And so if you if your country gets lent a load of money by these these world banks, your country is in hock. Your country is basically their bitch ad infinitum. It's saying here that the US debt to GDP ratio is on track to surpass that accumulated by the end of the Second World War. So, you know, that the situation is dire, yet they're already saying, well, okay, America would be, you know, the US would be considered one of those countries that's actually doing quite well. So they'll all of a sudden demand all this money back, the, the repayment of the loans from countries like the US, the UK, Germany, so on and so forth, and divert that cash elsewhere. So the next paragraph, governments will need to make complex choices on how these debts will be paid uh, how these debts will be paid off and by whom, keeping in mind that the impact of the crisis has been deeply uneven. There's another bit where it says that governments might be tempted to pay back these loans to divert money away from education and uh, and health. And it's almost like saying, well, I'll tell you what, boys, you owe us money. We want it back. Uh, whatever you do, you know, we, we need that money, you know, you really shouldn't take it from health and education. But if you're pushed, if push comes to shove, take it from there and give it back to us. Reading between the lines of this document, that is. And and who who actually do they owe this money to? Who do countries owe this money to? Who is the World Bank? Who are the central banks? No one wants to go down the anti-Semitic route, but it's is it the Rothschild family owns these banks? Yes, Rothschilds, Rockefellers, it's usual suspects, leftovers from the 20th century. Yeah. It's old money. Yeah. It's 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 old money and they've managed to buy whole countries with it without the countries even realizing without the populaces anyway realizing who actually owns the country. Politicians are our elected leaders in in our western democracies. They are not really in charge. It's these people, these people who attend Davos are the ones who are really in charge. They go on to further discuss in here about compounding factors in the crisis that is the accelerating 
inequality dynamics that were already at work. Well, you're the ones that forced the shutdown. So in essence, you're the ones, speaking of the finance capital heads, you're the ones that furthered that dynamic, as you're calling it. The polarization of labor markets. You're the one that shut down production. You shut down meatpacking plants. You've used the the virus as a a cover for that. Workforce disruptions. You put 40 million people out of work just in my country alone in the U.S. and is making automation ever more attractive. To whom? To you people? What does that mean to the person that wants a little bit of dignity? What does that mean to the person that wants to raise a family? The people that just want to work hard, have some self-worth and be left the hell alone. What does that mean to them? Well, the next innocuous paragraph on, on the following page talks about lifelong learning so that they can go from job to job, which means no long-term careers, which means no long-term career pensions. No trades. Um, no trades. No trades. Uh, and yeah, because obviously they think that AI and computer, you know, robotic arms are going to take the place of these construction workers, of these electricians, of these highly skilled tradesmen. And it's simply not going to happen. Well, I hope it's not going to happen. But the more I'm looking and reading their words, these people with all the money and power seem to think they're going to make it happen. The next paragraph talks about horizontal support systems. Oh, no. Before I talk about that, the bottom of the paragraph that talks about, you know, lifelong learning and everything says, as well as support during periods of inactivity. So they're expecting people to go backwards and forwards from job to college, from job, inactivity, college, another job. And this is where that universal payment comes in, I've no doubt, so that they're paying people to do nothing because the system that they've created hasn't created any new employment. Universal basic income. And then it, yeah, universal basic income. All right. So, so it's talking about support during periods of inactivity. Well, no one wants to be inactive until they retire. They, they want to be gainfully employed, you know, with regular vac- vacations, but gainfully employed during their adult life. And that's not what these people have in mind for us. They've got some other image in their mind, some other future for us that we don't want, but they are already planning for us to have. I think more people need to know about this, more people need to read about it. This bit here, far-sighted upgrade of social protection fit for 21st century structures would also recognise the extent to which horizontal support systems in the form of community-based networks can play an important role for workers. What does that mean? I think I know what it means. It means, you know, cooperative loan companies, so they pool their money so the next person can afford a deposit on on the house that they want to buy or maybe even just to get somewhere nice to rent. And they mean food banks. Their vision of this horizontal support systems. Can either of you shed any more light on what you think they mean? I think, honestly, it has... uh... I think it has something to do along the lines of, I mean, just my own personal take on it. I think it's kind of along the lines of what you just mentioned. Social protection fit for 21st century structures. What does that mean? That part I'm a little confused on. Twenty, What? Is this a 21st century structure? Everything that they're going to build in here? The form of community-based networks can play an important role for workers. To me, that goes along the lines of what you're talking about, but we saw it in the 20th century and even prior to that, but mostly in the 20th century when you had the mass production side of the Industrial Revolution start to take hold. And that was, you had instances of this in the United States, that was the company store on the 
on the plantation, if you will. That's what it was. So you had There's an a example. There's a great song about that, isn't there? I owe my soul to the company. There's a great song about it. I owe my soul to the company store. Yeah, um, but example. And, like and, it, that, and that's – Go ahead. No, I was going to say that that's exactly what we're – what I see when when I read those words, what I'm seeing is they think, all right, yeah, these horizontal support systems are just a place where someone can go and get credit and be in hoc to their eyeballs, and it doesn't matter because it's it's just fake money. It's not real currency. It's not gold. It's not products. They'll just get deeper in debt, and that's what they want because when they've got you in debt. Do you remember a little while ago I said, you know, when I was finally debt free, when I owed nothing to anybody, it was the the most liberating day of my life. And yeah. so many people aren't I'm not gonna see a day like that because of these plans of these evil SOPs. One of the things I wanted to uh, to mention here, I just realized that I skipped over it. They talk about burden sharing in here. <laughs> burden sharing, which that goes along with this inequality nonsense that they're talking about burden sharing, right? Well, we need to we need to make sure that everybody shares the burden. Everybody pays their fair share. Everybody has their fair share of responsibility. Well, who's going to make that determination? What? Because you have a better economy, then you have to take on more of the burden than say the next country over from you. That's your responsibility somehow. So it gives them an opportunity to address a, quote, daunting challenge. Yet it also presents a tremendous, listen to this, yet it also presents a tremendous opportunity for governments to regain the trust of citizens. Are you saying we don't trust our governments? I never would have guessed. I don't trust these people as far as I could throw them. Now, we've had conversations before about, do you trust your governments? And and I'm glad, like I said, Marty, I'm, gl- I'm glad that you have an atmosphere of some kind that you can somewhat trust your government. I don't trust mine. Never have. Not to that level. I wouldn't trust those people with an egg. I wouldn't trust them to, to run a lemonade stand, as you put it last week. So yeah. this, uh, this idea that we're going to somehow regain the trust of citizens from our governments, the only way that I would say we could regain the trust of citizens from the governments at the moment would be stop lying to us, right? That's a good place to start. That's a that's a damn good place to start. How about you stop lying to us? How about you stop capitulating to scum that wrote stuff like this and tell us what's really going on? That's a good place to start, I would think. Sorry, I well, had to address there's that. A, that's fine. There's a, there's a reason why politicians never give a yes or no answer. And it's because if they give a yes or no answer, then they are either caught out in a lie immediately or they've revealed a secret. And so much of what's going on is kept from the general populace. But you you mentioned burden sharing. This document has got the European Union's fingerprints all over it, along with the UN. And, and you look at the situation, burden sharing, right? There were, until Brexit, there were 27 member countries, or was it 28? I can't remember. Uh, tw- 28. 28. There were 28 member countries, and only 11 of those member countries paid in a positive amount. The other 17 were getting uh, a rebate or getting money given to them by the EU that was paid for by the top 11 countries within the And it came with stipulations. Union. Yeah. And, you know, even the UK had a rebate. We paid in what we paid, and I'm still trying to work out exactly how much that was, but it's it's over it's over 140 billion a year that we were paying into the EU, and we got some of that money back. But we were told by the 
EU where that money had to be spent. And it was it, it was focused on areas that benefited the EU within our own borders. And so this concept of burden sharing has got the EU has got their, their fingerprints and DNA all over it. And they were listed in the references section, having setting precedent for some of this writing as well and coming up with this plan. So, yes, you're not far off. And like I was saying yesterday, yeah, their, their fingerprints are all over this. Did you listen to yesterday when I said that? <laughs> OK, so, uh, Bruce, where, jump in here, man. Elbow us out of the way. Uh, wh- what part do you want to what part do you want to key in on? I mean, you guys are hitting uh, good points. I would probably would go a step further and say it's not just the eu it's this is this is full-blown marxism i mean in a sense because you're talking about sharing the burden that that's a that's like a socialist communist idea right except we're, we're doing this on a global scale so it would be more communism but i can't fathom the idea of as an american for for this to work in america especially there's going to have to be some changes in our dna like our foundation if you will Because, for example, the idea that I'm having to pay taxes to a global government and then they give me a little bit back and say where I can and can't spend it gets stuffed. I mean, I'm going to keep my money in that case. You know, it's it's kind of a I don't like the idea. Right. And I'm for helping people and whatnot, but it's it's on my own terms. You know, it's it's how much I'm willing to give so yeah that's why this thing this, oh it's just great yeah years. bruce is spot on uh and and we the uk have finally said get stuffed we're not having it uh, in terms of the eu now we just need uh, a government that's brave enough to say it to the world banks as well and these these finance capitalists there's a paragraph here under co-creating new frontier markets it's brilliant. It's 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 so. Um, <laughs> now, mind you, hold on before you before you start that. Yeah. we should make note that we are jumping to section two, identifying new sources oh. of economic growth, and this is the yeah. subsection that you're referencing there. So go ahead. Okay, if economic recovery defaults are a reboot of pre-COVID-19 activities, societies will have missed an important window of opportunity to transition to a more inclusive and greener growth path. Uh What they mean is, you're going to do it our way. It's going to be our plan. And it's pure hypocrisy. You know, I can smell the five spice coming off of this from the CCP. Which countries burn the most coal in the world? Uh, that would be China, I'm pretty sure. Uh, just throwing mm-hmm. that out there. China. Yeah, it's China. China and India and these Asian countries. And you know what? It, it seems a bit unfair given how much carbon emissions, before we all realised what carbon emissions were, that the Western world you know, gave off. The UK is doing everything it can to get cleaner and greener. But what they're telling us is we can't go back to the way things were before COVID-19 um, um, because because then, you know, you'll, you'll miss doing this and doing that. Uh-huh. Well, everyone wants to get back to normal. It's almost as if COVID-19 was a plan, as if they meant it to do this. You know, it, it <laughs> kind of seems that way, doesn't it? Long. That's what did I yeah. say at the beginning. I said at the end of this, this is going to possibly make you rethink whether or not what we're seeing is actually happening. Well, I've got this thing keyed up, and I'm just wondering when when the right time to to read it out is. Uh, it's called the plan. Okay, I don't know if you've right. heard this before. It's been around for for ages. Bear with me. In the beginning was the plan, 
And then came the assumption, and the assumptions were without form, and the plan was complete without substance. And the darkness was upon the face of the workers, and they spoke amongst themselves, saying, It's a crock of crap, and it stinketh. And the workers went unto their supervisors, and saith, It is a pail of dung, and none can abide the odour thereof. And the supervisors went unto their managers, saith unto them, It is a container of excrement, and is very strong, such that none can abide it. And the managers went into the directors, and saith, It's a vessel of fertiliser, and none can abide its strength. And the directors spoke amongst themselves, saying to one another, It contains that which aids plant growth, and is very strong. And the directors went to the vice presidents, and saith to them, It promotes growth, and is very powerful. And the vice presidents went unto the president, and saith unto him, This new plan will actively promote growth and efficiency of this company, and in certain areas in particular. And the president looked upon the plan and saw that it was good. And the plan became policy. And this is how crap happens. Doesn't that sum up exactly what's happening here with the with the way the uh, the words have, have been mealy mouthed and uh, and twisted? And and that's what happened. This is a crock of you know what BS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, and, we're, I agree. and we're and we're being sold it. Yeah, yeah. So, I can tell that. You know, uh, I can tell you're you're getting on the uh, the level of one to ten. You're getting up there. I can I can tell because I can tell you're actually oh, frustrated. Yes. I'm very frustrated because this thing used to go around. That thing I just read out used to go around military circles, and it was all related to the rank structure instead of you know workers, supervisors, managers. It was related to the rank structure, and I'm pretty sure that has probably been around for a, at least a hundred, maybe two hundred years. And we're still falling for this rubbish. We're still falling for these plans that are just, you know, it's why lawyers do so much in Latin. It's not because it needs to be in Latin. It just stops your average guy on the street from understanding what the law actually is. Uh, and it's the same way that they, you know, Churchill had a vocabulary for his speeches of 500 words. Maybe it was 5,000. It wasn't many. You know, uh, and, he, and he kept things very simple. He spoke in a way that everybody could understand. And that's not what's happening here. This document has been put into the public domain to convince people that the people in Davos have got our best interests at heart. They really haven't. And, and I, I just hope people take the time, go and read this document and make their own minds up. My mind's made up. This uh, this article you made refer excuse me this section you made reference to on uh, co-creating new frontier markets now this part right here where it says as economic policy interventions are transitioning from economic life support measures to the stimulus phase meaning they're never going to allow markets to fail again that's what that means they're going to continue to print 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 stimulate inject money create numbers that's all they're going to do governments have a unique opportunity to influence the direct or excuse me to influence the direction of economic progress through far-reaching innovation and investment strategies so now the governments that from the earlier section don't have any trust of their citizens now they're going to be tasked through the powers of finance capital to influence the direction of economic progress through far-reaching innovation and investment strategies so now they're going to pick winners and losers the losers are going to pick winners I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Since when the hell do we allow governments 
to determine which way the markets go. That's not free market. That's fascism. You allow that type of system to come through. Every time the governments think that they know better than the markets, historically, the governments always lose and the markets always win. Always. There's no reason to think that that's going to be any different now, provided, provided that we can actually keep the governments out of the markets. If we can keep them out of the markets, if we can stop them from interfering in the markets, then we wouldn't even be having this discussion. But now under this plan, they're going to be tasked with doing it. They're, they're henchmen. They're henchmen. That's all they are. Hessians, if you want to go further with it. All right. That's all they are. They're hacks. They're useless. They're capitulators. With the markets, stocks, shares, bonds, all those kinds of things, there is always a loser. There has to be a loser. Someone buys at the wrong time, at the wrong price, and they lose money. There is no way that there is a win-win situation. And they've always been false. And the sooner people realize that it's a casino game that they're playing, and it's always in the house's favor, the odds are always stacked in the house's favor. And in this case, the house is those finance capitalists, those world banks, they're the ones who, who gain all the time. Because it's low lives like us, you know, investing a, a few hundred pounds, a few thousand pounds here and there, it all adds up into uh, a big pot from which they skim the house's share. I've got no sympathy for stockbrokers that go bust. I've got no sympathy for people who play the markets and wind up losing everything they've got. But the problem is our pensions, our futures are all tied up in those markets. So they have to be you know, as much as I dislike them, they are part of what is going to secure my future. And I'd just like to have the confidence that they were fair and and, and not a fixed game, but I firmly believe they are. Bruce, your take on uh, the government's being tasked with uh, intervening and picking the winners and losers? No, just flat no. A lot of the problems we're seeing right now as far as um uh, I'll use farming as an example. Uh, here in the U.S., certain crops are subsidized while others are not. So you're better off growing corn or soy because those are subsidized. It should not be that way. It, it should not be the government deciding who can win and who can fail. It should be the free market deciding. It should be the customer deciding, I like this product better than this product. Not the government saying, you know, same thing with the COVID-19, pan, you know, the, the, the pandemic shutdowns. Walmart here in the U.S., well, they were allowed to stay open, but your mom and pop shop, there's a local Asian market that uh, we frequent and get some of our, our, our stuff from. They're closed down. That, I don't know if they'll open again, whereas Walmart is going to be fine. They probably made gains in all of this. So I'm tired of the government getting involved. It is not their place. Here in America, it's not constitutional for the government to be involved with economics. You, you start getting into corporate fascism when you, you start having government and businesses getting to bed uh, together. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I want them detached from each other. These new frontier markets include a range from green energy. Yeah, we've been hearing about green energy. That's great, right? Ecotourism, Right. Ecotourism, that's people that will travel around and look at the environment. And of course, you can't interfere. Now, if you're wondering what ecotourism looks like, I'll put it simply to you. This is a, this is what the mainstream media called a conspiracy theory. I think to this day they're calling it a conspiracy theory. It's not a conspiracy. You can go look it up. Go look up map of the United. Just type into any search engine map of the U.S. Agenda 21. That is your ecotourism. OK, 
That'll explain it to you. And the circular economy. So we're going to have circular economies now. We're not going to have free markets that are based on what the people decide. No, 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 no. We're not going to have that. We're going to have circular economies. We're going to be looking to health. We're going to be looking to education, training, and the care economy. So these are all areas where the use of technology and market forces could have a transformative impact on economies and societies through multiplier effects on employment, social capital, and environmental returns. Social capital. Just uh-huh. want to kind of uh-huh. point that out. Social capital. What what what's what what do I keep hounding on? You know, social uh, credit. Social credit uh, is social capital. Uh, yeah, that's that's what that yeah, is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, but see, Bruce, we get environmental returns from it. So mm. is isn't yes. it worth it? Mm-hmm. Isn't it worth it? Governments have de facto played a more active role in innovation that they are often credited with. Really, governments do not innovate. Governments destroy. They don't innovate. They don't build businesses. They don't know how. They regulate and tax and shut people down. For example, in laying the foundation for today's IT industry, I don't think so. I mean, we can talk about this for a second. Bruce, you made the mention of, well, they did kind of invent the internet. Well, yeah, sort they of. did, sort of. But yeah. I think the overall IT systems and stuff, I mean, that that was that was more along the lines of, you could argue IBM on that one. You, you could argue that. I mean, those, those were essentially the very first network machines. So, I mean, you could argue that that it was them. I, I don't know. But I would say that it's more of tech companies, Silicon Valley type that created the IT industry, not the government. The government didn't create the IT, IT industry. I don't think they even laid the foundation for it. Yeah, it's so when it comes to Internet, they did play a role in not creating it, but but kind of creating the initial standard. You know, because it, it initially was meant to be a way of communicating between military bases. That was kind of the foundation of it. But what it's turned into today is not because of the government. What it's turned into today is because of the IT companies, you know, the, these tech companies, these, you know, cable, the Internet providers, the even smartphones now and, and all that stuff. It just technology in general has been formed by private companies, not mm-hmm. by the government. They may have had a play or a hand in kind of starting the basic idea or pulling, you know, grabbing a hold of a private uh, citizen's idea, buying it up and then, you know, running with it. But it's it's rarely the government. And usually when the government gets involved, it's overpriced and poorly engineered. But governments like taxes. So companies, uh, tech companies. Uh, even video game, which you know, I know is all dear to all of our hearts. We all love a video game. Companies now have moved on. They've forgotten all about ethical marketing. Let me first explain ethical marketing. You should never sell someone something that is going to harm them. It should always enrich them and make them better off by buying your product so that you don't have these parasitic relationships between vendor buyer you've got a symbiotic relationship where you both support each other but that's not what's happening the internet is absolutely riddled with online gambling apps people are losing money and the the, the thing that's allowing them uh, allowing these gambling online gambling companies to be so successful is our brains and our bodies produce certain chemicals. I'm trying to think of the the one that uh, is related to sort of victories and winning. I think it's dopamine, and, dopamine. and we love it. Yeah, so so we we love that. We're totally addicted to to that that hormone that 
that um you know sell the, the, a drug that we produce ourselves that makes us feel really really good so on the video games now loot boxes pay per play pay to win everything is is geared to take more and more money out of your pocket for the same product you had a few years ago admittedly the graphics might be a bit better the maps might be a bit bigger but ultimately they want more and more money from you to play that game on the internet the gambling every time you turn the tv on on certain stations the ones that people watch during the day that have got nothing else better to do and certainly can't afford to gamble there is a gambling advert in between each portion of of whatever program they're watching and on your phones as well it's popping up all the time when you're watching a video on youtube and the ad starts nine times out of ten it will be some kind of gambling app and the governments love taxes so that they're not doing what they should do to stop these companies from exploiting basically addicts because they they create the addicts and the more they get exploited the more tax they should be paying to the government i know it's not exactly what we were talking about tonight but it's it's relevant because governments are complicit because they love taxes so they're going to let these companies string us out and sell us stuff that we don't need and that actually harms us so section three and we'll go through this pretty quickly uh, aligning on new targets for economic performance so now they're going to decide which way it's going to go the severity of the crisis has forced a pause to refocus minds on what is truly of value what you've had to think about that you've had to think about what's been truly of value what we've we didn't realize what it was before, so now we have to go back and re-examine it. So as public and private sector leaders are tasked with chartering a transition to a greener, more inclusive economic system, because the one we have hasn't worked, right? A consistent set of targets will be critical to creating accountability and assessing progress for both governments and firms. Well, it's so nice to know that we're going to have corporate fascism dictating the way that things are going to go. I can't say I can't say how how good that just makes me feel, because that's going to transition us into what that's going to transition us into something they call, which now you're starting. You notice no one's talking about this particular document. Not too many people are. A few people are not too many people are. But what are you seeing out in a lot of the headlines as of the last, I don't know, uh, two, three, four weeks? What are you seeing out of places like Forbes magazine? Out of places like CNBC, you know, the financial network in the U.S., places like Fortune magazine. What are you seeing? You're seeing something called stakeholder capitalism. What is stakeholder capitalism? This is something they're saying, oh, it's going to be the wave of the future. It was developed by Klaus Schwab in the 70s. No, it was actually a concept that was put together back in the 19, I think it was 1930s. And it's essentially, it's a, it's a system in which corporations are oriented to serve the interest of all their stakeholders. See, now, who are the stakeholders? Those are going to be customers, suppliers, employees, uh, shareholders, and local communities. But see, shareholders, they're looking to get rid of shareholders, and they're going to replace it with stakeholders. Now, when you start getting into stakeholders, right, that's right out of the Marxist revolution. You start getting into stakeholders. Bruce, you want to jump in on this one? Um, yeah, well, I, I just clicked off to pull up a, a definition on that. Okay, what do you, um, got? What do you got? 
So exactly what you were saying, um, stakeholder capitalism is a system in which corporations are oriented to serve the interests of all their stakeholders. Stakeholders are consumers, suppliers, employees, shareholders, and local communities. Under the system, a company's purpose is to create long-term value and not to maximize profits and enhance shareholder value at the cost of other stakeholder groups. So mm-hmm. exactly as you're saying, it's about the community owning a business and not actually mm-hmm. the you know an individual. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's like a public bank, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. It's, a, it's, as, it's as misleading as a public bank, right? Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, the bricks and mortar of the business and the majority of the profit will go to those who had the biggest stake in the first place which will be the owners or the major shareholders. This is, I think this is- This is is your horizontal. This is your horizontal. Yeah, horizontal horizontal support networks. And I don't know if you've ever seen, I'm sure you have the pictures of the the staff in Japanese car factories who are absolutely not only obedient to the owners of the, the, you know, the, the company, but they're subservient as well. And they see- the company as the font of all knowledge and goodness and and they are totally reliant on that company and this is what they're after isn't it they're after people to be totally reliant compliant docile and will put up with just about anything because if they don't then they'll they'll lose everything because they they'll lose their job and if their whole community, their whole village town is basically run by the company, then we're back to that asshole, my soul to the company store again. Yep. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. You're paid so, in the yeah, currency and you're only allowed to spend that <clears throat> currency in that company store. That's what it is. On the, the one time I visited mainland China, they didn't issue us with any actual currency. We gave them hard currency. They gave us things called friendship tokens, which could only be spent in certain places. This was so that we couldn't hold any of their actual currencies or go anywhere that they didn't want us to go. And that was back in 1986. So... You know this this concept of social scoring and and being controlled by your ability to spend. You know that they've been playing this game a long time, and this is no surprise that it's woven into this document. The concept of creating the situation where people can only buy what they need from the stores that the companies recommend or insist that they buy them from. It's a horrible, horrible future and we need to stop it. That is correct, sir. I couldn't agree more. But I'm not going to go down the rest of uh, the rest of this. This is the last page of this uh, this plan here. But I just wanted to point out a few key aspects of uh, how this kind of rounds itself off. Building a consensus on a new set of national economic policy targets. Then they talk. They go on to talk about the recovery plans. And if this is the route they're taking as far as the recovery plans, uh, no, absolutely not. If this is a recovery plan then I say it should be rejected wholly on its face. But they go on to say that targeting a recovery in GDP growth alone will not be sufficient to advance the holistic economic and societal transformation that is needed at this moment. What? So you can't produce? You you can't produce to build yourself back up? What? Because it's not on your terms? It's not on your terms? It's not on your plan that's that's outlined in this, uh, this agenda here? What? So countries can't take their GDP and put it back into their own countries. Is that what you're saying? Why? Because that would promote too much inequality? 
Is that what it is? They wouldn't be sharing enough of the burden. What they would have to build themselves back up. Industrialized countries can't retool and do it themselves. So you have to have an overarching structure such as the United Nations to come in and do it. There's a strong agreement among the survey response. See, they took a survey, right? So you should trust it right on its face, right? Yeah, they took a survey. That a concise set of targets will be an important signpost to track progress and create accountability as societies build towards a new system. Why do we need to build towards a new system? Why do we need to build towards that? Because this, this is hell on earth. Well, you're going to have everything stolen from you. You're going to lose your pension. You're going to lose your house. You're going to lose your savings. They're going to take everything from you. You're only going to be able to shop at that one place. And you're going to be based on, what was it? Your uh, social, what was it, Bruce? Your social social credit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah something along yeah. those lines. I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. The GDP itself will also need to be updated to reflect the value creation in the digital economy. See, they're going to get rid of cash. That's mm-hmm. what it is. The digital economy, right? Value created through unpaid care work as well as value destroyed through certain types of economic activity. So we're going to have a digital economy? Huh. Okay. So it's going to be a cashless society. Gee, we've kind of... That's news to me, right? We've only been talking about that for a year. Recent years have seen several extensive and rigorous efforts to identify related metrics to tackle different dimensions of the measurement question, right? That's balancing one country against the next, in in my opinion, one economy against the other. Given the urgency of the current situation and accelerated international convergence on a dashboard of core targets building on these metrics to steer consistent forward-looking economic and social policy and business decisions will be critical. So see, they're going to dictate what forward-looking economic outlooks are going to be. It's not going to be the market. It's not going to be you, the consumer. It's not going to be the consensus of society as a whole when you look at the consumer economy or even the manufacturing economy or the production side of things. So it's going to be them telling you what it is. That, to me, sounds almost like the five-year plans that they used to have back in the old Soviet Union, back in the good old days, you know, comrade? That's what it sounds like to me. The longer-term rebuild of the post-pandemic economy requires rethinking our policy approaches and targets defining success. See, they're going to target. They're going to target success. They're going to tell you what success is. Now, this last line right here, I find this really funny. The longer-term rebuild of the post-pandemic economy requires rethinking our policy approaches. You know, about 10 years ago, I heard a guy say just that in the city of London when he was giving an interview. I believe it was on CNBC. And the man who said that, his name was George Soros. And I think his fingerprints are all over this too. Not just the EU, but I think you've got guys like him, who is a frequent attender of Davos, I might add. I think I see him behind this as well. But this, this is exactly what Marty said earlier. This is a piece of BS. That's all this is, right? This is our future being flushed, whatever's left of it. I don't want that people who have listened to this podcast to have nightmares. But what I do want them to do is to, if they haven't already, do a bit of research, grab this document if they can, and of course you'll give where they can find it at the end. But do read the document and form your own thoughts. Read what it says and and try and see if you can get any real meaning from what it says. Because, you know, I, I write for a living. I write reports for a living and, you know, it doesn't take that much skill to hide a real issue in amongst some uh, flowery text. Like I said earlier on, a good lie is always hidden between two pieces of truth and the art of warfare, all of warfare is deception. So we are being deceived 
And the only reason they put this document out is for them to have an air of transparency about what they're planning and plotting at Davos come January. Bruce, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, actually, um, I would encourage you to, uh, while you're looking into this paper, you know, read over it yourself, uh, as as Marty was saying, and form formulate your own opinions. But also go through on uh, the the 17th page there and read through the acknowledgments, and uh, you know. Look at uh, some of the businesses that were involved in this and take note, you know, to give you an example, you've got Deutsche Bank, you've got Uber, Bank of America. I didn't even look LinkedIn. at this. LinkedIn. Barclays yeah. didn't um, LinkedIn. European uh-huh. Bank for Reconstruction, B of A, IMF, yeah. UBS. Oh, my goodness. The Hong Kong Exchange, City Standard. Oh, my God. Yeah. Microsoft, so, Unilever, <laughs> Nestle. Uh-huh. Oh, man. Okay, interesting. So take take a look at that and look at those companies and those because I'm sure many of you use those companies in some ways. Uh, uh, you know, so you might think about uh, I don't know boycotting those you know those companies and whatnot. At least keeping an eye on them. You know. So uh, yeah, just form your own opinions on this. Look into it. There's a lot of references and stuff that I I actually want to go over and kind of look through. This is just. As Marty says, uh, don't let your morale in this get damaged and and taken down, and don't you know don't fall into the pit of despair and nightmares and whatnot. This is a warning to keep vigilant, and I, I hope you heed it because uh, this is this is coming, and this is something we're going to have to deal with a lot. <laughs> this isn't going to be like one and done. This is going to be something we have to deal with as long as we have technology, and as long as technology keeps advancing, this is going to be a forever fight. You know, I often wonder, do, do you think, and I, I'd like to genuinely get your get your take on this, do, do you think, because I believe part of the solution in this is, now, and I know I've made reference to this before about the system being too far gone, but is a way to deal with this, and this is my solution to it, start at the local level. And what I mean by that is, is Agenda 21, right, which we can see Agenda 21 worked into this. So Agenda 21, right, everything about that was designed to take the global policy and implement it at the local level, correct? Yeah. So- the, I think I think the way to fight back against that, in my opinion, is to run for office at a local level and to fight back on it. Would you agree that that might be a solution? Yeah. So local level council. I mean, even even just getting into like your education board or something, you know, on the on the local level and and helping curb what kids are being taught. Just any way you can you can get in and be active in this system. I honestly I, I honestly don't know because. Part of the problem we're running into is you have people that are not aware of what's going on and they like the idea of, I mean, let's be honest, the idea of having more machines take over certain jobs like labor intensive jobs and Mm -hmm. you being able to progress into something else, something more, you know, logic driven or, you know, mental capacities instead of having labor. Right. Sounds appealing. Right. I mean, that that is very much appealing and and being able to make things cheaper and more engineered. And I mean, there is an appeal to it, but there's trade offs with that. And that's what we were talking about. You you lose a lot of jobs and a lot of ability yourself. If, if you don't know how to, as Marty was saying, do the plumbing in your own house, construction work, electrical work, you're pretty much at the mercy of some expert. How dare you talk about governing yourself? How dare you talk about that? What's wrong mm-hmm. with you? How dare you do that? Yeah. You know, I spoke yesterday about 
what it means to be an American, you know, what, at least what it means to me. And I'm sure, you know, Bruce, you and I pretty much agree on that, uh, what, what it means to us. I mean, that's just it. It means something possibly slightly different to everyone else. I mean, I look at the traditional side of it. I look at how people are able to relate to that in relation to how it, it shapes their modern character today. So what does it mean to you to be an American? You could take that another way and say, well, I'm not an American. Okay. Well, what does it mean to you to be English? What does it mean to you to be French or German? Do you believe in your country? Do you believe in sovereignty? Do you believe in caring for your own people? Do you believe in the free market? Right. We talked a lot about the free market tonight and pretty much how this this piece of nonsense, right? This 86 is the, the free market, right? I hate to tell you that. That's what it is. So that makes the free market irrelevant because the government's going to come in and pick winners and losers backed up by finance capital. The governments are just going to be puppet states, which they pretty much already are. So the free market, right? Do you believe in that? Now, I, I'm not talking about for, from a financial aspect, but from an intellectual aspect, do you believe in it? What about international cabals, such as the Davos Group, like we talked about, the World Economic Forum, same people, organizations like the United Nations? So we have to capitulate to these so-called financiers and these so-called intellectual frauds that have wrecked, pillaged, and plundered our civilization. We have to capitulate to that. Because that's who these people are. These people have sold us out to the highest bidder. The very sellouts who rigged our markets and turned it into their own personal casino. That's who we're going to take orders from now. That's who we're going to be indebted to. The ones who've stolen our wealth, our children's wealth, our futures. And now what? Their little game's over. It's at the end game, right? I've been saying that for months. They're at end game. They don't have anything else left. They can't play this funny money game any longer. They're at the end of that line. So now what? The system collapses in on itself, right? I mean, they could have kept it going for a couple of more years, I suppose. But this pandemic gave them the perfect opportunity. See, they themselves are the architects of the demise of the system and our way of life. And now they're looking to re-engineer it before they lose everything based on their own corrupt gains. See, they're going to lose everything, too. That's the thing. If they let the markets go now before they're able to grab power and re-engineer it with a solution that they helped create. See, it's a Hegelian dialectic. It's a problem-reaction-solution. They create the problem. You react to it and say, wait a minute, this is a problem. COVID, right? And then you turn around and say, well, um, what are we going to do about fixing this? Well, the same people that caused this problem and you reacted to that problem that they caused, they now have a solution. Problem, reaction, solution. These people aren't builders. They're the most self-centered, nihilistic frauds the world's ever seen. They've stolen all this stuff through fraud. That's all they've done. They think we're so inept that we're so dumbed down, that we're so blind that we can't see what they themselves have done. Well, I see what they've done. Bruce sees what they've done. Do you see what they've done? So now what? It's not about a pandemic, is it? Do you really still believe that? Or did you to begin with? We're looking at our national and our state governments and our local governments to an extent for answers, right? We're looking to them to kind of solve this problem and figure out a way to get us back on track and back to, well, to quote normal, right? Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but they don't have any answers. None. All they're being told is to maintain and to stay the course until these low-life degenerates can get together in their resort in the Alps and hit the reset button on a system that they've destroyed so they don't lose everything that they have in the process of it. They don't have a plan. Governments, I mean. They don't have a plan. They don't have solutions. All they know is power. And that's what they're going for. Governments, corporations, financial heads, they're going to take everything we've got. And I mean everything, your home, your pension, your money, all of it. We've been deemed non-essential, right? You remember essential, non-essential? Yeah, we're non-essential to them. All this talk about automation, all this talk about universal basic incomes, we're non-essential. We're to be considered serfs going forward. Well, I'm not a damn serf. I'm a patriot. I'm an American. Are you? 
even if you're not an American by birth, are you a person who believes in your country? Do you believe in Western civilization? Because I damn well do. I believe in America. I believe in Canada. I believe in Australia. And I believe in Europe. And these losers who are looking to end that 500-year agreement of the Renaissance, right? They certainly don't believe in any of our nations. So the question remains, how do we get out of this? Is there a way? Is there a peaceful way? I think that's a more adequate question. Well, yeah, I think there is. I, I think that there is a way to get out of it peacefully. Uh, and I, Bruce and I just talked about it a little bit. And that's first and foremost, the most important thing, we got to wake up to this, right? We've told you exactly where to go to find this document that we're talking about. We're not making this up. You can go and you can get this for yourself and you can look and verify and do whatever you need to do. Weforum.org. Weforum.org. Emerging Pathways Towards a Post-COVID-19 Reset and Recovery. Please go read it. Pick through it. Look at the references, like Bruce said. Make up your own mind. Decide for yourself what is right and what is not. If you don't agree with us, fine. But at least look at what we've presented. Go get it and then follow along with us if you like. Take part in the discussion. Talk to other people about it. Hey, do you know about this? Do you see what they're trying to do? We're about to lose everything we got. Our national governments are scared. They're afraid. They've got no fight in them. They're being told just to stay the course. This is why we're not seeing any solutions from them. They're those broken conformists that I've mentioned time and again, right? So what's the answer to this? Well, the answer is you. The answer is me. The answer is we, the people, right? It's time to vote with our money because voting at the ballot box, apparently that doesn't work. So let's vote with our money while we still have it. I think it's time to ignore these people that are going to lead us down a road of ruin and damnation. I think it's time for us to govern ourselves again, right? We used to govern ourselves. Why don't we do, why don't we govern ourselves anymore? Why? Bruce talked about all those things, having all those skills. That's self-governance. That's part of it. It's time to look at our communities. It's time to look at our families, look at our religious institutions at our local levels. The system that built the West in the first place, true liberalism, the Renaissance, laissez-faire capitalism, the free marketplace of ideas. And the most important thing that none of these sad, broken, and so-called elites possess, and that's logic, reason, and common sense. And that's all I had tonight. Bruce, Marty, thank you guys for your time tonight. And from all of us here, wherever you are in the world, we thank you for listening, because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible. We love you, and we love freedom and independence. And together, we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas. So we'll see all of you tomorrow.